Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down the movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Ryan Gosling's Howdy Lips. Now, let's turn down the lights and start the show. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to The Pestle. Today's episode is sponsored by Greendale Community College. Greendale Community College, you're already accepted. Never How's it been. going? Pretty good, man. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling good. I've got some allergies going on, but that's all right. Nice. Get through it. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. We are local filmmakers here in Austin, Texas, and we do shows about movies. We like to dive in in two different perspectives. I like to get a little more technical. And I like to just say if I like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have a, a, an uncanny ability to shut my mind completely off when I watch movies. So it's it's it does, I mean I, I see the technical side, uh, but but I kind of leave that to Wes. That's awesome because normally I cannot shut it off in my head. It's yeah. just nonstop going. Um, today's show we're talking about Warrior. We're going to be discussing camera angles and how composition can tie in with the subtext of the scene or even the entire movie. And we'll also talk about a variety of ways that Warrior immerses us into its world using audio, lighting, and more. And I think we'll even talk a little bit about Tom Hardy. A little bit. A little bit. I have a slight man crush on that guy. That guy is Just amazing. Just amazing. Everything he does. I mean, I've I've watched pretty much everything he's done, and I can't find anything that I don't rave about. There is one thing you haven't seen that he's in. And I think it's his first thing he ever did. What is this? Band of Brothers. That Okay, you've called me out. Yes, I'm the one person in the world that has not seen Band of Brothers. Yeah, yeah. And it's, But he's only got like three minutes worth of screen time, and it's still really good. He's still noticeable. Oh, but I have seen, and which I don't know if you've seen it or not. What was it? Uh, this uh, what is it? The Secret Life of... Oh, Stuart, A Life Backwards. I did see that. After your recommendation, oh, okay. though, All you right. recommended it, and I picked it up, and he is... And Full Frontal in that one as well. <laughs> he has a thing about Full Frontal. That's true. Bronson. Bronson. He let the guys out. Um, was that my first... I think that that was my for, first yep. introduction to Tom Hardy, was yep. when you told me, you need to watch this movie. You have to see this. It's called so Bronson. out there and amazing. Um, and that's already... We're not even to the quick recommendations at the end of the episode. Yeah. Let's just preempt all that and say, go watch Bronson. And also watch Warrior if you haven't already, because we're about to get into a lot of spoilers. And we want to make sure you're aware of that. This movie is going to be talking about the ending, everything in between. So if you haven't seen it and you don't like spoilers, there's a big heads up on that. All right. You ready to get started? Yeah, absolutely. Let's roll a clip. Yeah. Wow, look at you. Mr. Inside Man. You and Tommy training together like nothing ever happened. It's unbelievable. Now I know what you're really doing here. What's that? You came to gloat. Oh, I did not come to gloat. I came to get my son back. Well, there you go. Yeah, you got your son back. No, I'm talking about you, bro. You got your son back. You know... Ah, forget it. Yeah, I'll tell you. Part of the reason... Part of the reason I stuck around, because I thought I'd finally get you all to myself. But you didn't have any interest in training me. 
Yeah, Tommy was the one. Oh, Brendan, I was a drunk. I mean, you know. Brendan, I'm sorry. Oh, forget it. You're always a front runner. Never had any interest in underdogs. But I was your son. You are my son, Brendan. Am I? Yeah, you are. I just. I'm just asking you if you can find him. I have a little better space in your heart. Forgive me. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. I forgive you. Okay. But I do not trust you. Oh. So tell Tommy if he wants to see me, this is where I am. Okay. okay. But, but they're right. not different things. You got to trust to forgive. Night, Pop. Oh, my God. It is. is that Emily? Is J.C. Scrum? Is that Rosie? Daddy, who is that? Oh, it's just a nice old man. Come on. Let's go. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. Amazing performance. Oh, Nolte. Yeah. What'd you do to me in this film? Oh, my God. Uh, a quick synopsis of the film. Um, so the youngest son of an alcoholic former boxer returns home, uh, where he's trained by his father for a competition in a mixed martial arts tournament. And uh, it's a path that puts the fighter on a collision course with his estranged older brother. It's directed by Gavin O'Connor, written by Gavin O'Connor, Anthony Tambakis, and Cliff Dorfman. Uh, it's starting, starring the illustrious Tom Hardy as Tommy, Nick Nolte as the dad, Joel Egerton as Brendan, and Jennifer Morrison is in there as well as Tess, Brendan's wife. She's amazing in this film, she too. She is so good. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that you have to respect actors who don't necessarily get a ton of screen time, but still really make an impact on the film. I mean, you look at Moonlight with, I do not know how to pronounce his name, um, but Maharshala Ali, I think it's pronounced. I mean, he's in there not all that long, but um, he won an Oscar for his performance. And just like uh, Shakespeare in Love, um, I think Judy Dench is in there for maybe 10 minutes, maybe 18 something like that and she won an oscar as for best supporting actress like it doesn't take a lot to really knock it home wow um and i think jennifer still has a really large presence throughout the film uh, so it's not like she's just sprinkled in here and there um just like nick nolte who you told me right before we started he won the best supporting actor yeah yeah, um, and I was we were sitting there talking about it, and I was thinking, who could have beaten him that year? I don't even know what what else was up uh, for nomination, but uh, I guarantee you he had the best performance. I mean, it's it's I, if you were never a Nolte fan, you will be after this movie. Yeah, it's so authentic and heartfelt. Um, there's some really cool behind the scenes uh, commentary on the DVD and Blu-ray that's worth checking out. You hear Gavin O'Connor discuss some of the techniques and things that Nick Nolte was doing in production just to make sure he stayed in tune with his character. Um, I believe he was actually rolling around listening to these tapes um, of Moby Dick, and he'd go out to his car in order to help get himself into character. 
uh, a lot of random things that I really can't remember. I'm probably butchering all of that, <laughs> but the spirit of it is certainly there. He just really dedicated and found all the ways necessary for him to tap into this character. Yeah, and one of the we watched uh, one of the the clips that they took out of the film last night, and uh, uh, we listened to the commentary on the clip. On and Gavin O'Connor told told us that uh, in the clip that. Uh, they, he was heartbroken that they had to cut it out of the movie, but it just didn't flow because they already had another diner scene. This was a second one. and uh, But in this one, Nolte nailed his performance in the first take, so much so that the entire cast started applauding when they yelled cut. It's amazing. Or, uh, the, the crew and the cast and the crew. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just love hearing when that stuff happens, you know. The only time cast or crew has applauded me after a scene is... When it's done, and it's like it's, it's over finally. Yes. Take thirty-five. It's oh, a wrap. Finally, oh, it's a wrap. Thank God, God. we can leave now. Dear gosh. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're a big fan of this film. Yeah, I am. What really draws you to it? Uh, there. Okay. So I I will say they're they're not reinventing the wheel here, right? This story has probably been told a dozen times. You know. Uh, brother against brother, you know, and uh, the the one interesting twist is that it's UFC, so that makes it more modern. You know, I would see that. Um, you know, and there's there's a there's a, a few things, you know, like with the kids where I'm I'm taken out of it a little bit. There's some there's some kids that are that are part of the school um, that are you know uh, proud of their teacher who is who's in this this uh, this big UFC competition, um, but. I will say for the most part, 98% of this movie, I'm in it and I'm in it for every single main character in it. I mean, and all the sub characters, but it's so good because I, I mean, I, I don't really follow UFC that much, right? I don't really, you know, care about it. When I heard about this movie, it's about, you know, UFC. I was thinking, oh, okay. Um, let's, let's see what this is about. It has nothing to do with UFC. It has nothing to do with fighting, even though it's about fighting. It has everything to do with how, how in our, there are so many ways that we can be broken. And there are so many reasons to not forgive people for bad things they've done. And so many reasons to continually push them away. And, and yet, uh, in the end, by forgiving them, we, we actually heal ourselves. It's, it's just an incredible, it's incredibly well written. There's a lot of subplots in it, like you mentioned. Um, uh, Nolte listening to Moby Dick. His character listens to Moby Dick the entire movie. It opens with him listening to Moby Dick and listening to Ahab, um, and and throughout the movie you see him go back to his tapes and he puts his headphones on and he goes. To, and then at the end, spoiler, uh, at the end when he finally when Tommy pushes him over the edge and he ends up drinking again after a thousand days he's a thousand days sober and he ends or over a thousand days and he ends up drinking again and tommy wakes up to him screaming uh at captain ahab drunk off his off his rocker um uh, saying stop the boat stop the boat you bastard you killed us all it it is it's a it's a it's a cry to guy to himself to stop like he he wishes that he could have had those years back when he hurt uh tommy and he hurt brennan and and his his ex-wife and and 
he screwed everything up and it's he's screaming to him his younger self to just stop the boat and uh just like captain ahab who in his quest to find and destroy moby dick he destroyed himself he destroyed his crew his boat um and it was completely um egocentric and that's how he was and he it's that scene um i don't know if we have a clip but uh, let's listen to that clip if we can because that scene is is one of the most powerful scenes i've seen in film i mean there's a there's a few a handful that i could think of but that one in particular just just rocks me you bastards stop the ship you bastards you smoke Stop the ship! Stop the ship! You godless son of a bitch! You stop the ship! You godless son of a bitch! fantastic just and that is the scene in that scene tom hardy says nothing he doesn't say a word but you can find you can see him finally break down and and the the huge wall he has between him and his father um he lets it down and he holds his father in in the bed and it it just it's it's incredible without him saying anything you can see it on his face he knows what he's done he's broken him down back to where he was a thousand days ago and he feels bad now you know in the end they don't necessarily end up together you know nolte walks away and stuff but uh after the fight but uh in that one scene for just a moment you know they're okay it's just it's it's fantastic yeah I mean that's a great, that's a really good insight. I completely agree. I mean that makes so much sense why he's listening to um, Moby Dick and he's obsessed with it and it is very much a, a review of his life and his own mistakes and he's hoping to learn. He's hoping to move on. And I have some really interesting thoughts about that scene and how it ties in with the final scene between the brothers. Okay. There's some really interesting physical um, and blocking the camera angles very interesting way to help solidify some of these themes and these concepts that that you're talking about about fighting and and conflict and resolution and and healing and forgiveness awesome it's very cool there was something else that you mentioned last night that it kind of dug into me a little bit it was just really interesting um you we were we sat down we were watching the film and halfway through the opening sequence um thought it was like it looks like half of this is shot film and half is shot digital 
And I could see right away what you were talking about um, because some of the shots were more grainier than the others. Uh, they still looked filmic to me, but I just assumed that the grainier shots were due to lighting and um, I couldn't tell whether or not it was intentional because sometimes certain directors like to push the grain a little bit. Uh, film is composed of all these little tiny crystals and throughout the years kodak has tried to get better and better and fuji has too though fuji is really no longer making motion picture film but their goal is always to try and get the grain smaller and smaller or as they call it tighter and tighter so that you don't see the graininess anymore and, and it just helps the resolution and helps you get a better quality image but what happened was they shot this on two different film stocks uh like I said, Kodak has been developing their their stock for decades. You know, I couldn't even begin to tell you, maybe 100 years by now. Um, and right now, they have uh, progressed to what they call Vision 3. It's the latest and greatest that probably came out, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, give or take. And before that, they had Vision 2, where the grain was a little bit bigger. And they shot this on Vision 2 and Vision 3. And I would have to believe that that was very intentional, that certain scenes, they wanted to add a little bit of grittiness to it and a little bit of uh, realism. Um, and it's one of the many ways that I think really shows us how Gavin O'Connor and his DP and his whole team set about finding how to immerse us into this film. Whenever you're setting up and you have your screen screenplay, you have your script and you're asking yourself all these questions, what is this thing really about? What Let's start with the genre. What genre are we tackling? Um, and what are the thematic elements we want to dive into? And you could feel it that they really wanted to explore a lot of different avenues of immersion. And we'll actually get to that in a second. But that really like floored me last night because normally they don't they don't do that. They usually yeah. pick one stock um, and they stick with it. That's the normal way to shoot on film. Right. So that there's cohesion between your very first frame and your last one um, but if you're smart and you have an intention behind it you can really do things like that um, shooting on different film stocks so so like like the intro scene where you're seeing you know like the dirtiness of of, of pittsburgh uh you know in the morning with the smokestacks and everything and then and uh tommy sitting there on the on the stoop and and uh nolte coming home like that, that was obviously vision two. It felt I like mean, it, it felt super grainy yeah. and dirty and in, and in his house, it felt grainy too. And then, and then, you know, juxtapose that with the cut of, of Joel Egerton and his family. Um, he's married and he has two kids and they're happy and they're, they're at a birthday party. That's the first time you see him. I, I don't remember seeing much graininess in that. I mean, I know there probably was, but it, it looked like the color and the, and the and stuff was pretty similar. You know, there were blown out aspects and stuff, but but that's exactly right. You juxtapose those images against each other, yeah, and suddenly you just feel it. And that's the secret side of filmmaking is you're not trying to make these things where the audience says they must have shot this on vision too. <laughs> like, that's not the point. The point right. is to hide all these things and to impart and imply some of these feelings and emotions yeah. through all these visual techniques. Yeah. Um, and there's an, another thing um, to this music in the film. And there's not that much music in the first half of the film. And I mean, I guess I wasn't really watching the film last night with the intent of breaking down music and audio, but it mostly struck me that, you have two big musical numbers in terms of 
uh, soundtrack. Mm -hmm. You have the opening sequence and you have the end sequence. And then everything in between is score. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's Mm -hmm. very orchestral and uh, tones. Even that scene that we opened with, um, with Brendan talking to his dad. Mm -hmm. And that, that has music. It's very beneath the surface you almost don't even notice it until the end of the scene which by that point it's just kind of crept in there and everything they're doing with music is underscoring the performances they're trying to let the performances speak for themselves and why wouldn't you you get these amazing actors all four of those headlining actors jennifer morrison nick nolte tom hardy joel edgerton who would you not want in your film yeah yeah i mean they're incredible right i would you don't you don't want the music to overstate when they're doing all the stating that needs to be said absolutely and so they don't have that much music and they choose pick and choose those moments um obviously whenever you have the the montage workout sequence in the middle uh that's a place where you need music to kind of get your heart going and to buy into that whole montage Um, but even then it wasn't lyrical music it wasn't they didn't there was no singer or anything like that it was it was still score it right it was still score and what's really interesting about that i hadn't even thought about to this moment was that um obviously they're using the beethoven score Uh that underlines the coaching technique of Frank Campesini, yeah. or I sure. forget his name. We'll is. go with that. Frank Grillo is his real name. But right, yeah. the montage, it's getting you energetic, right? Yeah. You're getting into it. You're getting excited. But you're also, that's one way I think they're championing Joel Edgerton, uh, Brendan, yeah. throughout the film. Because now we're identifying this music with him. Yeah. And later, whenever he does his entrance music and Beethoven kicks on, there's a certain familiarity, there's an encouragement there, and there's something that we're rooting for yeah. that they've kind of cued us to. Yeah. We're like Pavlov's dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's the, the other great thing about this movie is that you you want both of them to win. They, they yeah. do a really good job about um, uh, teaching you a lot about what Hardy went through, um, or Tommy, what Tommy went through with losing his brother, his, you know, brother on in the force that he was he was in the the mm. military um a marine and losing his brother marine and calling his wife and saying i have got this thing i'm going to take care of you um uh, is, is so at that point you're like i want him to win i want him to be able to take care of that family you know uh and at the same time you feel so i mean obviously you know we know nolte's past in the film but you just feel so bad. He's treated like dirt the entire film. Um, and he's just trying so hard. And so you just want him to catch a break, you know, and he never really does, (laughs) never does, (laughs) but you just want it. So you want them all to win. And then, uh, you know, obviously, um, uh, uh, Egerton's wife, like just everybody, you, you know, so at the end, the first time I saw it at the end, um, when, when, uh, 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 Brendan breaks Tommy's arm or, or, you know, his shoulder. I'm sitting there thinking, Oh man, they're, they're going to just like not finish this or, or something's going to happen and, and neither of them are going to win or something, you know, something cliche like that, that did not happen. You know, that did. And I love that that didn't happen. I love that one of them won and the right one won. You know, it was, it was a great ending. Yeah. That's so on point. Um, 
Yeah, you're, and that was one of the interesting things I kind of walked away with last night was that the the exposition in this film, the way they reveal the backstory of everybody, it's very slick. You don't feel like you're being exposited to or whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever the right wording of that is. Right. Like every time you're learning backstory and exposition, it's told through these perfectly l- delivered dramatic moments right. like you said he calls the wife and now not only do you know something that of what he's gone through but it's also something a reason to root for tommy yeah and that i think that's the one of the great ways to to handle exposition in general is make it meaningful to the to what's coming ahead mm-hmm. um find some layering with it and that way it doesn't feel like exposition it feels like just a part of the world. This is how characters speak to each other. Characters don't speak to each other. Well, when I grew up or six months ago, I had X, Y, Z happen to me. And that's why I am so angry right now. Anytime you can find these interesting ways to, to make exposition, not feel like exposition, that's a win. Yeah. And it's another way to immerse the, the viewer into your world and keeping it really short and not, not taking you out of the world too long. Like when, um, uh, they cut to the, to the military camp, that guy sees, uh, Tommy beating mad dog on the YouTube video and he freaks out and he's like, wait, give me the tape. Give me the tape. Like that whole sequence is a couple of minutes and then they're back into Pittsburgh. It's like they take you out for just a second and they bring you right back because it's not about that. You don't need to be there that long. You just need a little backstory, and then you're back. That's right. A little bit does the trick. You don't have to tell everything right. all at once, and I think a lot of films forget this. Just give a hint, and now the audience is begging for more information. Yeah. They're starting to project their own ideas of what's going on, yep. and half the time you're probably right, but it's that other half of the time that makes the story interesting because that's where you can create your plot twists and your and your interesting layered moments that reveal something completely in contrast to what you were expecting. And so just a little bit of exposition, a little bit of a hint of what's going on can really help the audience feel thirsty. I've seen uh, Ridley Scott is one of the masters of films and I hated Robin Hood. I felt like the entire film was exposition that eventually led nowhere yeah (laughs) it was really frustrating and so that was one of the magical things about warrior is that they they never beat you over the head with their exposition and when they do it's not a beat on the head it's a punch in the chin and they're laying you out because it's so heartfelt it's so authentic and you can't help but to feel pulled apart yourself as you're rooting against two people or three people four people who you all want to be together, but you don't know who to champion. Yeah. Who should I pick? Um, and another way that they're they're immersing people using the uh, audio was by the lack of music through a lot of the film. They're grounding everything, so you're hearing footsteps, you're hearing doors opening and closing. It's it's very immersive. Nothing feels over the top. Nothing feels significant that shouldn't feel significant that door closing that's significant it's speaking to an action um punches being landed you feel it all the more because of the absence of so many other sounds and now whenever these things happen you hear it so much more cleanly and it adds in just one more layer of immersion to the film i i also love talking about immersion 
in a different way. All I love that all of the the fight sequences, like in in the cage, they're all shot ninety percent of it outside the cage. So you're looking through the cage, just like if you were there watching, right? And you know, you go back and you watch Rocky films. Most of it is in the ring, you know, to make you feel immersed. So it's interesting they taking the camera outside the ring. Um, and letting it all happen inside the ring. And you can see you're looking through the cage. And sometimes they're punched in a lot, so you don't really, because the cage is so up on the camera, you don't really even see it. Uh, but they're outside of it. And they'll cut in for just a second, and then they'll go right back out. Yeah, and I suspect that if we were to, if I were to just go frame by frame, shot by shot, that there would be something that they're speaking to in terms of the significance of who we're watching and the way we're filming them. And I'll get to a lot of that here in a minute uh, because there's some really beautiful camera technique that's used to communicate how one character feels about another just in the framing and composition. Um, But to keep diving in with the camera work, uh, it's a lot of handheld stuff. There's it's very loose camera work. It's almost documentary style. Um, And with that, it feels it feels more natural. It feels more like you're watching that uh, unfold live as it happenings. It kind of removes one more barrier between you and I'm at a movie. Um, and so there's not a lot of dolly shots. I, I suspect there's maybe just a couple, if any at all. But I want to say I noticed two at least. One where the first time he comes home from from uh, his fight and he's in the bathroom. Uh, I think who, who uh, Brendan. Yeah. Oh, okay. Brendan and Tess is laying down and I want to say we dolly into that room. And then the other one is right after Marco goes down and we know in hindsight that Brendan is about to ask his coach, coach Frank to mm-hmm. insert him. And as they're setting up that shot, it's a dolly shot through the parking garage. Oh yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Um, and so I feel like they really, only use those sparingly more as a geographical technique. Um, as a viewer, it helps to know where people are in relation to each other. And they largely do that through their, their camera movement. Because you have this loose camera movement, you're catching a little bit more of the room and the geography of the room, and you're able to piece that together, even though we're, we're very tight. Um, and so all of this all this camera work adds a sense of realism and grounding. Uh, It's a very immersive style that creates a sense of familiarity and personal perspective because it doesn't feel highly polished. In a way, it's like you're watching a home movie. Uh, And this is a great way of removing disbelief that you're watching a movie right now instead of real events. Um, It helps also sell the fight scenes. Um, It all feels tied together. There is no separation between being in the ring or octagon and arguing with a loved one. It's it's all a war. It's all disheveled and real. Blending these worlds makes us feel the punchers, the punches in and believe the fighting. Um, it also trains us to follow the action sequences a little easier because we're used to this loose camera movement. So we're not so disoriented when we're in a fight sequence with punches and arm bars and everything happening where we've been trained for the last hour and a half. You know, now we're Picking up on this, we're seeing it's it. It's supposed to be shaky. It's supposed to be shaky. Yeah. Um, and so the camera work does a lot to help immerse us, as does the lighting. Um, a lot of the lighting feels practical. And it, and I would imagine most of it is uh, because if you have this loose camera movement, um, it helps if you're not having to worry about catching a light stand um, in your shot or if you want to do multiple camera angles 
then all the better so that you can get this reverse shot without having to worry about getting, you know, a Kino flow into the shot. Um, Although I highly am sure they still use a lot of these non-practical lights, Um, but they do such a great job of sourcing the light so that if you're watching one scene with a character in your frame, uh, they, they, they give you a really good idea of the lighting on his face and where it's coming from. That's what I mean by sourced. They're sourcing their lighting. They're making you believe that this lighting is a part of the real world environment. And that should just be a natural part of your filmmaking process is how do we make the lighting look like it's a part of the environment. Um, but in this way, it feels very natural. And the lighting is not glamorous. This is hard lighting. Um, you have a very contrasty, gritty images, the, which basically means the, the highlights are hot. They're almost blown out. So the whites on, that you're looking at are almost at the, at the edge. And when I say blown out, it means you're losing all the detail. It's just as white as white can get. Um, and likewise, the, the shadows are crushed. Uh, they have this technique they call crushing the blacks and you make the shadows just like the whites, you lose all the detail in the shadows. And whenever you do this, you end up with a very contrasty image that feels very dramatic. This is a very dramatic texture, and it supports the reality that the film is set in. It's a drama about very hard people. I mean, everyone in here is a fighter. Every single one, every single person is a fighter. Um, two of them are war veterans. And I right. think there's an interesting undertone or, or light, very light commentary about soldiers dealing with war and dealing possibly with PTSD. I would assume both of these guys probably have some PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see how this has affected the entire family because I imagine if Nick Nolte hadn't gone to v- uh, Vietnam that – He's a little bit easier person. He's got a little less drinking that he needs to do that's helping him cope. And so I feel like this is just one of the many layers that this film delivers without really giving you the answer key uh, in black and white. It's yeah. it's hidden in it, the surroundings. And we might think that because we uh, from also from seeing that deleted scene where he explain he like actually tells a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene is him telling a story from like a war story, essentially. That's true. You he know? also mentions it in the film yeah, with, right. uh, at the slot machines. I think, yeah, just yeah, a he, couple times he does. Ma- right. Right. But it, it's, he doesn't tell any detail or anything. Not so. nearly as much. But yeah. He's yeah. like, he says, yeah, I've been there. I've, I know what you've, it's a great through. deleted scene because he does finally give us a real detailed account of some of the stuff that he dealt with. Yeah. Um, but I also understand why they removed it. Agreed. It just didn't help because throughout the film, everyone has their barriers and things that they're fighting for. Um, you have the father, right, who he's done everything he can possibly do to ruin everyone's life around him. Yeah. And finally he decides, I'm going to go sober and uh, this is going to be – a new me, a new leaf, because I want my family back. Um, and it's really too little too late that you can see that through Brendan. Um, but I will also touch on that here in a minute. Uh, there's going to be some really great stuff. Um, but to finish off the immersion technique with lighting and coloring, um, I also wanted to point out that we're in Pittsburgh. 
and all this tone and texture helps kind of sell and remind you that you're in a blue collar town. These are not high fancy people with all this flattering lighting. This is not a glamorous time. This is all very hard and very personal. Yeah. And so with that um, setup, right now we visually have all these ways that we're we're being sunk into the film with the lighting, with the the loose camera work, and the audio all supporting this. And then they go another step beyond that. And so now we're going to talk about how composition and framing and your 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 angles, how you choose to shoot and and cut and edit in can influence how we perceive a person, um, their feelings, and how they're connecting with the people around them. And so in this film, they don't use hardly any mediums. It's mostly medium close-ups, which is whenever you're framing someone at about the chest height up until the top of their head, um, or close-ups, which is going to be like right right around the shoulders to the top so, of your head. So a medium is about waist up? Exactly. So a okay. medium is going to be from the waist to the top of your head. Got it. Um, and so close-ups are very intimate. You get to see what people are thinking and feeling. These are performance shots because of how close to the face we are. Suddenly a blink is magnified with significance, a wince. Every single thing you do in your face becomes larger than life. And so there's not very many wides. Uh, they use it to set up a couple scenes, and I'll get to one that's super significant and they use to great effect um, between Brendan and Tommy. Uh, but the times they use these wides and mostly mediums, whenever they start inserting mediums, they're used for conflict. If we're in a medium shot, then there is conflict brewing. We're about to see something go down. Um, the fight scenes, interestingly enough, run a wide gimmick. Uh, of mediums and wide shots, close-ups. Uh, they mix in all these foreground elements like you were talking about. We're outside the, the ring. Um, that helps immerse us. Um, but having that extra distance makes it easier to see what is happening very clearly. So they can still do all the camera movement like they've been doing, but you're wider now and you can still follow and track so much easier. And so instead of something like a, a James or born Jason Bourne movie where everything is not only super shaky, but it's super tight and you can't follow what the heck is happening in every right. movie after the first one, the he's first one, they ass. do a really good job of staying a little bit more towards the mediums, but uh, yeah, he's just kicking ass and we're just wowed by his ass kicking. Yeah. Whereas in this film, we understand the geography of the fighters and what they're doing to one another. Um, even if they might skip around a little bit, we're never, we never feel lost. We always feel we know who has the upper hand and what's happening. Um, and so having that wide and medium shots for, for all the conflict, whether it's fighting mm-hmm. or emotional conflict, we're in those mediums and wides. Um, it really helps us track and see what people are doing and feeling in relation to each other and who has the upper hand and who feels what, who's invested, who's not. With that, I want to talk about dirty shots versus clean or singles. The framing, so a dirty shot in effect is if you have one person in the shot that's talking and we're looking at, a dirty shot is showing a portion of the person they're talking to. So it's kind of an over-the-shoulder shot is usually how it's framed. Um, and so you get a little sense of their of their context what's going on between them whereas a single or a clean shot is just that person there's nothing obscuring your view from this person um 
and how they frame someone in those dirty shots from you can tell a lot how they're framed in relation to one another the headspace so if if my head is closer to yours and there's not all this daylight so to speak then i'm invested i for for a number of different reasons i could be invested whether i'm angry whether um I am trying to get something from you. Uh, we're clo- I'm closing this distance physically, and it's symbolic of what I'm trying to accomplish emotionally. And so with that, um, the first real mediums that we see are for uh, – well, the first ones I think technically we see are with the principal when he gets called into the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have that fight. And so it opens with these wides, and you get – a little sense of the geography of the office but you also they're really far away from each other yeah yeah and so beyond that though the first real emotionally engaging scene that we have is with brendan and tess um they're married and they're discussing well the the fight is really that they're not discussing he's signed up this is uh right as after he's talked to frank and he's said Sign me up for the Sparta tournament. I can do it, coach. Put me in. Um, and so he's off the phone with Frank, finding out the, the good news that he's in the fight. He turns the test, and she's like, so we're not even going to discuss this. And suddenly we're in these medium shots. And you have that sense of distance. They are far away from each other now. And it's exaggerated because of how much time we've spent in these close-ups. Suddenly mm-hmm. you just feel... The characters are far away and you want them to be closer. Um, And so there's this big gap between them and Brendan tries to get closer. As the scene progresses, you see him walk closer. He is closing the distance. He is making an effort to get her back. Um, But there's still a little distance. He's still a little upset with her and he's still trying to, to reason his way out of this. Um, Talk with your spouses about putting your life on the line. Yeah, right. Uh, but finally he goes in for this kill shot. He's trying to get her back on his side. And that's when we finally see the gap is completely closed. It's almost overlapping. And I think at certain points it does overlap his head with hers in his shot. When we cut back to her shot, there's still a distance. Her head, there's several inches of space, I guess, depending on what screen you're watching. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But there's a lot of daylight between their two heads. Um, and you can see she's resistant. She's still distant. She's not where he is. She is not emotionally going to go there with him just yet. And finally, she exits the scene. And as she exits, the the gap widens before she walks behind him. Um, and so you can see emotionally, we're watching what's happening physically as well. We're not only hearing it and experiencing it, we're seeing it physically, literally played out through the composition. Um, and then there's another great scene, which I will set up with this beautiful clip. So you, you won't forgive me, but you, you forgave Pop. No, he's just some old vet that I train with. You know, he means nothing to me. What I hear, he means nothing to you either. You got balls talking about forgiveness. That has nothing to do with forgiveness. I got children, man. I got... A family to protect. Everything I do is for them. I forgave Pop. Just like I forgave you and Mom. You forgave us? Yeah. I'm not surprised you made the tournament, Brennan. You got some stones, man. I fell in love. What the hell was I supposed to do? You were supposed to stick to the plan. You were supposed to come with us. 
Mom needed you. I needed you. You're my big brother. You bailed on me. Hey, you know, I'm glad you stayed. Everything worked out for you. You leave, you get the opposite. Okay? You leave, you get to bury people. You're not the only one that suffered, Tommy. I didn't even know she was sick. I never even got the chance to say goodbye to my own mother. You had no right to keep that from me. That was not your decision to make. No way. You walk around with your pictures in your wallet, and you're all, I forgive you. I forgive Pop. I forgive everyone, but you know, you're full of shit. pretty intense yeah and so that's between brendan and tommy obviously um this is the first time that these guys have finally spoken throughout this entire movie um and it's a funny thing because we kind of feel that they know each other and, and through the connection with the father um it's really well linked and we we're, we're in complete dis, you know suspension of disbelief that these are brothers um they have a history they have a past and this tension that we're experiencing right now is very real and what's beautiful about it is the way they shed, uh, set it up cinematically is that they show a wide shot at the beginning and both characters are on either side. Um, and as the scene progresses, uh, Brendan tries to move in and get closer, but the gap remains. Uh, the distance between their heads throughout the whole scene as they cut to all the mediums and close-ups, uh, that Gap keeps remaining. He keeps trying to get closer, and Tommy isn't buying it. Um, so there's all these subtle framing that helps punctuate the relationship between these two guys. And in certain moments that they're expressing their feelings, even Tommy at certain points closes that gap as he gets really frustrated. And these scenes are on the website um, at thepestlepodcast.com slash warrior so that you can take a look and see exactly what's happening and what we're talking about. Um, and at some point I may even do like uh, a scene breakdown to help kind of point out some of these interesting concepts. Um, but for now, the scenes themselves are up there. You can go and you can watch. And so they're, as they're calling each other out on one thing or another, we're tight on them and the distance between the speaking person and our foreground character is close to not only get us inside their space and to help us see their emotion and nuance of the performance, but to also speak to how significant this moment is to them and how they think it applies to the person they're speaking to. This scene with Brendan and Tommy ends with Tommy walking away and that just tells you everything about the relationship of where they're at right now. Brent, Tommy is leaving. Brendan stays. We stay in a medium with Brendan. And as that ending sequence unfolds, we also get a look at that wide shot again. They started that wide where each character was on either side of the screen. And they sh show that wide shot again. And Brendan has gone the entire distance to Tommy. He has tried to physically chase him down and to close that gap, to get closer to his brother. And we get to see that represented that Tommy has not met him halfway. He has not budged an inch. Even actually in the beginning, in the setup of that shot, you can see they both 
walk in from either ends. Tommy is on the left. Brendan's on the right. Tommy stops at like, you know, maybe a couple of feet in frame (laughs) and Brendan keeps walking and he's almost in the center of the frame by the time he stops walking. So there's this, all this space behind him. So he is, he's walking, he's going that extra few steps until he feels the wall from, from Tommy and, and then stops and then they go to the mediums. And then by the, by you're right, by the end of that scene, Tommy's walked past Brendan and Brendan is, is uh, when it goes back to that shot, he's at the, the far right of that, of that shot now. So he's like, he's walked the whole, the whole space turned around and tried to chase him down. Like you said, and still Tommy retreats. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. he leaves. Yeah. Um, and that's it's one like of he the, walks through him essentially. Absolutely. And it's a beautiful thing that as you're thinking about how a character enters and exits a frame can tell you so much about what's going on in this world right now. Um, and then another great uh, scene is between Tommy and his dad. Uh, the relationships with the brothers and the father, it's all a fight. And in fact, everyone in this film is fighting. And what I think is really interesting is that nobody in this film, I believe, nobody ever gets beat. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, let's start with the less significant characters, the principal. He never relents to the school children. I love that guy. He's great. He, you <laughs> live him. vicariously through this yeah, guy because yeah. you feel exactly what he's feeling. But he never relents, even though we silently know uh, through his interactions and through watching him at home, he's rooting for Brendan. He has nothing but love for you know his his employee, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but he never he never gives up. He never gives in to. Uh, his students, his, it's a very appealing case, but at the end of the day, he, his role is a principal and he's going to stick to those guns and the kids likewise, they never give up. They, they find another route. They go bigger. They say, you know what? Forget your gym. We're going to get a drive in. So, So to set that up, the kids ask the principal to use the gym to uh to watch Brendan's fight and the principal says no absolutely not because he was suspended for that for for fighting uh so no and so what you're saying is he never lets them use the gym no he never lets yeah. them do it and they look down they look defeated but they rally yeah they they win their fight they have a big community like a driving on their their teacher that they love so much mm-hmm. um and you see that even though there's only two, maybe three scenes with these guys. Um, And so, and then you have uh, the dad and that's where this scene comes in between Tommy and his dad. Uh, So right now they've been fighting the whole time. Everyone's been fighting. Um, And the dad only wins by losing. That's the only time he actually gets to win is by losing. He's trying to be sober to be a better person, which infuriates Tommy. Because why couldn't he have done that for him and his mother? Right. Why do you have to ruin everything? And so Tommy keeps trying to get his dad to revert and go back to drinking, like you said earlier. Um, this is a button he keeps pushing. Um, and we, and the dad resists until finally Tommy lands that knockout punch. What the hell happened over there, Tommy? That is none of your business, man. Oh, come on, Ken. You know, I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it. 
You can trust me, I understand. Can you spare me the compassion of Father Routine Pop? The suit don't fit. Tommy, I'm really trying here. You're trying? Yeah, I'm really trying. Now? Where were you when it mattered? I, I needed this guy back when I was a kid. I don't need you now. You know, it's too late now. Everything has already happened. But you and Brenda don't seem to understand that. Let me explain something to you, okay? The only thing that I have in common with Brendan Conlon is that the pair of us, we have absolutely no use for you. Look at you. Yeah. I was right. I think I liked you better when you were a drunk. Well, at least you had some balls there. Not like now, tiptoeing around that song. Beggar with your cup out. Take it somewhere else tonight. In fact, you know what? Here's a cup. Why don't you take this and go get yourself some more of your shitty tapes and you go back to the room and you listen to some more fish stories that no one gives a shit about. Hey, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Come on. Knockout punch landed. And so finally, the next scene that we cut to, which we played earlier, is when finally his dad is drinking again. And we see physically that the scene ends with Tommy holding his dad. He has tapped him out. He has made him change direction. He's literally, like you said, he's holding him. Um, and that's also an interesting position because in MMA, that kind of position is a submission hold. Mm-hmm. Right? And by the head. Yeah, yeah, by the head. You can arm lock someone out. I mean, you can do all kinds of crazy things when you get behind them. Um, and so I completely believe that the dad loses on purpose. He never gets beat. He decides to submit. And in that way, he finally gets to win. He's lost the fight symbolically, um, but only in losing did he did he get his son back. And this is represented more literally when Brendan and Tommy fight um, in order to win for us to have the emotional resolution that Tommy, in order for us to have the emotional resolution, then Tommy must lose to Brendan. And we see the same physicality when Brendan makes Tommy tap out. He's in the same position. It's a submission hold and he's holding him from behind. And there's an emotional resolution as a result of one family member submitting to the other. Tommy is now forced to agree and to forgive and to face the same direction as Brendan. They are now on the same side. He finally gives in after building up a wall between himself and everyone in his life that he cares about. He finally gives in. And in the final shot, they're on the same side. And we have a wide shot with them holding each other. There's no space between each other. And they're in the middle of the screen, finally occupying the same space and meeting each other in the middle they're finally whole it's so good because all the acting is just on point and it's all punctuated by the brilliance of the the decision and camera angles and and analogy of how can we represent physically and in composition where each of these characters are right now and it's a team effort it's not just the director who magically comes up with this you're communicating with with everyone 
between your gaffer and your your director of photography who you're having these conversations with how can we immerse people with the lighting how can we tell these stories with the camera angles um and then you have to bring in your editor and maybe it's something that the editor sees maybe you did all this uh almost incidentally and not even know it not even knowing it and the editor comes in and says man do you know what's happening there might be in the in the editing bay there might be a litany of dolly shots yeah master (laughs) shots and all these wides and you know there are there's gotta be yeah so that ending scene is is one of my favorites um uh it's it tells the entire movie in just who's in whose corner if you look there is zero people in in uh tommy's corner not even his dad who was his trainer because he was hung over or he was sleeping. He was asleep and passed out from being drunk. So there was literally no one there. And he didn't even care because every time he won a fight previous, he would just walk out like he, you know, walk out of the ring and leave, leave his dad there in the corner. But Tommy has his trainer, has his trainer's assistant. He has his wife who ends up being there. Um, uh, so so at the end there's no one in his corner and finally he decides to to submit like you said and then we start hearing the national that 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 song today by the national and I've 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 tried to find that that version of the song and it's it's actually a the, the song is on a record is a stripped down version it's not the the full band version so they made this specific version of the song for the film oh. and uh uh, but the last words in the movie are "I love you." Joel uh, or or uh, Brendan tells Tommy, "It's okay, I love you," and then Tommy finally submits and accepts that and taps because he could have went all day. Tommy yeah. had he no would just quit. never quit. Yeah, he could not be beaten. Yeah, and it was only until he decided to forgive and to submit like to his submit. dad yep. like his dad did and let himself lose to win and it's interesting in terms of ordering because you could say that he learned it from his dad finally his dad mm-hmm. yeah. bought him something yeah absolutely and he had to go through that pain of having his arm broken <laughs> in order for that to happen and just the the, the acting in that whole that whole scene and the fact that the, that song that national song drowns out everything uh, when it starts kicking in all of a sudden you know, the crowd starts going away completely and all you can hear are them is, is them rustling on the ground and, and Joel talking to him. And even as the song starts playing, um, like you said, everything drowns away. And this is in between rounds when it first kicks in is right before the final round. And you can see nothing else matters except for these two guys in their relationship. Yeah. And not only are we hearing this orally, but we're also seeing it in Joel Edgerton's eyes. He yeah. can't even really pay attention and look at his coach. His mind is completely caught up in his brother. And we're inside the ring now. We're in the ring. We're in the moment. We're seeing everything from their point of view. We're no longer outsiders. Yeah. We're in the only thing that really matters in the entire world mm-hmm. is these two guys figuring it out. And them just leaving, at, getting out of the ring when it's, it's over and walking out. And not having anything to do with press or anything like that because it doesn't matter. It's just them. And it's fantastic. It's an incredible movie to the point that their techniques are so good. I unintentionally, when I'm watching TV or movies, commercials, 
I get technical. I start analyzing, like, I wonder where the lighting is. Uh, where's our exposure set to, oh, this side of the face so that they can catch this highlight on the on the cheek. That must be exhausting, dude. It does get a little exhausting. Um, <laughs> and that's why I read more books and play more video games to kind of escape the escapism. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I say all that to say that watching Warrior – most of that goes away. Not entirely, but I would say most of it goes away to the point that last night we were watching this movie in order to analyze it, in order to walk away with uh, cool things to talk about, and I kept getting caught up in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't I had, turn it I, on. I wasn't taking notes until I saw you were taking notes, and I'm like, oh, I guess I should probably take some notes. <laughs> <laughs> and you came away with some really great stuff. I uh, love the, uh, the analysis of uh, Moby Dick. That's so on point uh, and so representative of... Uh, the dad in his in his life mm-hmm. and his experience, um, and so I'm sure I have more floating around in there. But for the most part, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think we've run a little long. <laughs> yeah, just just a hair actually, not too bad. Okay, um, all right, cool. What do you recommend for next week? So right now, my recommendation is still hopping on. The Joel Edgerton train. Ah, okay. I'm going to recommend The Square. It's uh, 2008. There's a lot of The Squares out there. So the one you're looking for is in 2008. And it's written by Joel Edgerton um, and I believe his brother. Uh, his brother directs it as well. And it's a tense movie. It's set in Australia. Um, check it out. I guarantee you will be wigging out by the end of it. It's, it's intense. Awesome. Well, I'm going to stick with the Tom Hardy train nice. because he's just my boy. He's great. Tom, if you're out there, uh, you're a really good actor. I don't know what to say to you. I, you know, I'm a little awestruck that you're even... Li- Why are you listening to this? That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, go lift another weight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, his shoulders in in this oh film are ridiculous. I think he just did trap workouts like for like six months straight, and that's all he did. He looks gigantic, he didn't even sleep. though he's, he's not a large human. He just... He just had shakes and did trap workouts. Yeah, yeah, just it. ate like 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 boiled chicken all day. Um, no, my recommendation. I, I wanted to recommend. Uh, I started. I want started to want to recommend Bronson. We talked about it, yeah. um, and I do recommend that because it's fantastic and it got me on the Hardy train. Um, however, I'm going to recommend Lawless. Ooh. Uh, to, it came out in 2012. Um, and if you want to see a hard human being, there there are a few in this movie, but none harder than than Tom. He's uh, a bad man. He's a bad man in this film, um, and just a, another another fantastic uh, piece of work by him. Amazing. And uh, uh, Shia. Yeah, he's great. Shia's amazing in yeah. it. Yeah. Awesome. So next week we are going to be. Doing Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, man. That means we get to go back to the theater and see it again. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. For a third time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can't stop watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That one's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, So make sure to subscribe uh, and review us on iTunes. Also, leave us a note saying uh, what you'd like us to talk about and what the kinds of things that you find interesting. and, um, And who knows? Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll talk about it. I would love to actually have a reader's comments and questions section. That would be amazing. That would mean someone's listening. That would mean we have readers or listeners. 
Awesome. And make sure to check us out. Check out our website at thepestlepodcast.com uh, slash warrior for this this episode or just thepestlepodcast.com uh, to see everything that we've done. Nice. And we will end with a quote from Steven Spielberg. All of us, every single year, we're a different person. I don't think we're the same person all our lives. I like that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, Steven. <laughs> Hey, you know, uh, the, the story of uh, him with uh, the the Tyrannosaurus in Jurassic Park? No. So in Jurassic Park, you know, that final scene where the Tyrannosaurus is in the in the museum mm-hmm. and and saves the kids by spoiler alert. <laughs> if you haven't seen Jurassic Park, come out from under your rock. I'm about to ruin something uh, and saves the kids by by biting the raptor before it gets to him mm-hmm. uh, uh, when they were shooting that scene the, the the DP said well wait a minute wait a minute this how, how does this where where does he come from how does he get inside he's huge and so where does he come from and Steven said uh, camera left <laughs> like it didn't matter suspension of disbelief for that so one moment crucial. you know that's awesome uh, anyway Awesome. So for the Pestle, this is Wes. And this is Todd. Thanks for tuning in.